The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmilzer. Our guest today is Brigham Bechtel, who is the Chief Strategy Officer, Intelligence and Defense at Mark Logic. Hi, Brigham. Thanks again for joining us on the AI Today podcast. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at Mark Logic. Sure. So my name is Brigham Bechtel. I am a career intelligence officer with experience at CIA as well as started off a long time ago in the U.S. Navy as a Russian linguist. And I was brought on board because of my understanding of operations and missions and how data impacts those things. I like to tell people who come to work for us that I spent a career making sure that policymakers and leaders had the information they need to make informed decisions. And that's what we do at Mark Logic. So I help tell people about Mark Logic out in the real world, and I help our product people understand what's needed in the community to do the job. Well, great. Well, there's definitely a lot that's happening in data and the intelligence community and the government and beyond. And a lot of our listeners are across many different industries. As a matter of fact, our listeners are all across the world. They're mm-hmm. in the United States, we have Canadians, Australians, Indians, even folks from as far-flung places as Swaziland and Lesotho. So we're really thrilled to have listeners everywhere. So for some, for some people may not, not necessarily be aware of everything that's happening in the government sector and in the sectors as it relates to AI and especially what relates to data. So maybe you could you know, give a little bit of insight for our listeners here about the various agencies and the government agencies and how they're basically pursuing AI and machine learning and maybe just like, maybe some little insights into why the government agencies are pursuing the AI and machine learning and just more advanced uses of data. Absolutely. I don't think it's a secret anywhere in the world that AI, machine learning, and deep learning are being pursued by both private industry and government. And the requirement there is the volume of data that's being taken in by all of these organizations of late. Someone has to work with that data and reach intelligent decisions, conclusions, be able to do analytics, be able to do recognition, be able to do informed decision-making, both at speed, but with taking into account all of the available data that's out there. So for instance, the White House published a strategy for artificial intelligence pursuit in government that's out there for people to read. We have a national data strategy that speaks to to the important role of government with respect to data and its use in our government agencies and how important that role is for protecting democracy as well as citizens. And so I don't think you can find any government agency currently that isn't pursuing or attempting to develop AI and machine-based solutions in their processes. That includes the Library of Congress. That includes the Department of Defense, IRS, Health and Human Services, the entire spectrum of government agencies around the world, in fact, both allied nations and elsewhere are pursuing advances in AI so that they can achieve better results, decisions in speed, as well as dealing with the volume of information that they have. Yeah, that's important that you bring that up. And in previous podcasts and writings that we've done, we've talked about 
different countries and how they are pursuing AI and that it's so important now we have country-level strategic AI strategies. And now dozens of countries are coming on board and saying, you know, this is so important. So you're right. It's not just within the U.S. It's global that this is so important. And at Cognolytica, we regularly run webinars on various AI topics to help educate our listeners on what's going on and making sure that they're, you know, cutting through the hype and the marketing buzz that's going on. So you can find out more at Cognolytica.com, including upcoming topics and webinar dates. So we encourage our listeners to check that out. We'll be going over various things like this. Now, to follow up with this, the public sector, especially in the United States, with both civilian and defense agencies, have a lot to gain from artificial intelligence, from predictive analytics, autonomous systems such as unmanned drones, and even logistics management. So we outline these various use cases in our seven patterns of AI, which helps organizations and agencies think about how they should be running AI projects in a much more manageable way so that you can figure out exactly what you want to do, and then that helps form what kind of data you need, what kind of team you need, and how you're going to best move forward. So which branches are currently using AI successfully? And can you provide some example use cases of how you've seen it successfully applied? Great question. The answer may not be as satisfying as many of your listeners would like. What I would say currently is government is behind industry in adopting AI as a solution. Some of our defense organizations are well down the path of trying to find appropriate use cases that are both manageable and achievable in the near term. Special Operations Command has a whole approach to how they're going to pursue artificial intelligence, whether it's in future workforce, whether it's in training and intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance capabilities, they are well down the list. Now, unfortunately, many of those types of programs and their progress on them are necessarily classified, so we're not going to have full insight into them. At a recent conference that I attended at the Naval Academy sponsored by the Naval Institute, Professor Mary Cummings from Duke University basically said that her only insight into the government use of AI that's really successful at this point would be the latest release of the Tomahawk missile and its advanced warhead, the Block 5 warhead, and its ability to do target discretion, which goes to your object recognition pattern, Ms. Walter, to you describe in your writing. I think that is the one example that you can touch on quickly that is out there in the public realm where the idea of pattern recognition and the ability to discreetly target particular features of an object has been adopted into our capabilities. Object-based intelligence, activity-based intelligence algorithms that are being pursued by NGA for surveillance and intelligence preparation of the environment, those are all things that are aspirational at this point. Advances are being made, but I don't think we're there yet in the terms of being able to deploy it. We had another speaker, Admiral Losey, uh, retired, who belongs to an organization called Shield AI that's working on robotics ability to clear buildings. And he acknowledged the amount of data required just to send a robot into a building in order to clear it is we're not there yet. When you think about a building and all of the qualities about a building that is readily available data, height, dimensions, materials that it's made from, which way the doors open, room dimensions, and things like that, 
those are all things that we can know and include in a data set available to an AI algorithm. Now, what happens when the robot enters and there is a dynamic environment where there are people, where there is weather, where there is changes in environment because of temperature, where there's dust. Those are all things that we are currently having to deal with as we think about the issue of movement across the battlefield. It's interesting to think about the volume of data required simply for a human to move through a normal sidewalk environment or walk into a building. So much of that data is part of our OODA loop that was trained into us from childhood in the Orient portion of the OODA loop that has to do with our biases about what way a door opens, our biases about lever doorknobs versus round doorknobs. All of those things have to be done in a way that the algorithm has access to. Currently, our defense people are not there yet. Let's think about modern workforce. Currently, we're not yet at a algorithm that would allow us to do things like match the best person and their career experience and their training and their travel and their education to a particular job opening in a way that we can pursue that workforce through and into the future and start off with you at the beginning of your career. We're getting there, but they have not yet been successfully deployed yet. There are a number of government agencies that are working on their talent programs to be able to deploy an AI algorithm that would help in assignment processes. We're just not there yet. A lot has been done recently, particularly with natural language and understanding of what people are expressing about themselves being fed back into that talent equation. We're just not there yet. Mm-hmm. A lot of work is being done. A lot of advances are being made, but we're not there yet. Well, great. Well, you know, fortunately, you know, I think our listeners here on AI Today get exposed to so many really great use cases that we found, like, uh, interestingly, a lot of the, what people might, you know, think of you know, popularly in science fiction, say, of AI, but especially around robotics and a lot of the autonomous stuff, those are, those are definitely some of the, the more interestingly, you know, newsworthy, kind of glitzy, if you will, use cases for AI. But actually, what we're finding is that most of the applications for AI and machine learning are very mundane. Things like helping classify documents exactly. and, you know, helping to just put bounding boxes on things, even if it's not doing any recognition, just helping to do some separation of the scene or like even exactly machine learning based predictive analytics or some of the patterns, you know, cybersecurity and fraud. So I'm, I'm with you that, you know, some of the things maybe that we wish that AI could do that we may see in some of the, especially in the movies where we're probably not quite there yet. But right. at, the, what I, at the very lowest levels, in, at least the machines are helping with some of the more boring things, <laughs> if you will. Right. What I'd say is a lot of what's going on is one of the conversations we often have is you'll hear policymakers or commanders say, well, I, I want to take advantage of AI. And you go, AI to do what? And they say things like spot airplanes on aprons of airfields. Okay, well, spotting airplanes and recognizing you have an aircraft on an apron, that's probably at the machine learning level where you have a pattern recognition going on. And if you put that through those deep learning neural networks, you can probably get it down to what type of aircraft do you have. We're seeing advances in the recognition of types of aircraft and what those aircraft do and being able to label and spot them. It's when they say, well, I want AI to tell me what those planes are doing. Well, now, wait a minute. 
So if a truck pulls up beside an airplane, is it a tanker truck? Is it loading ammunition? Is it a maintenance vehicle? Is it a, those are things that we're not quite there yet at getting an alert from the AI algorithm to say they are loading up a bomber to go fly this type of mission against this type of target. We're not there yet, but what we can do is have the alert tell the analyst, you need to look at this parking apron on this airfield because there's activity around these aircraft that we don't, I, the algorithm, I don't recognize as normal. Does that make sense? We have a lot of aspirational stuff going on in leadership with respect to AI, but our data scientists are saying, okay, let's look at the mundane things we can do. Let's look at logistics. Let's look at spare parts inventory management. Those are all achievable in a much nearer term than the idea of having, for instance, autonomous air defense capabilities. Yeah, perfect. Well, that's great. I think setting expectations is a big part of making sure projects are successful, as we always say. Scope creep and setting the <laughs> scope is like the best indication, yep, yeah. indication of project <laughs> success. As a matter of fact, this is what we spend a lot of our time with. We spend a lot of our time engaging you know, both public sector and private sector folks on just doing AI right. You know, There is a methodology for doing this. You actually talked about sort of what happens in defense and intelligence, that OODA loop, which actually, I don't even know if a lot of our listeners may be familiar with the OODA loop. You know, maybe at some point we'll have to sort of dig into that, but it's a very obvious thing that you do, right? To, to kind of gain an assessment of what's actually happening and not make bad decisions based on bad information, right? That's the whole idea of, of that. Exactly. And, and the same thing for doing projects. There is methodology for doing AI, right? You might think it's kind of obvious and you're like, yeah, have a plan and figure out what business problem you're trying to solve before solving it. But it's amazing how many people go right to the solution without thinking about the problem, right? So this is something we talk right. a lot about. We talk a lot about this in our training. Uh, for those of you that listen, you know, we offer various training programs that really help our organizations get started and you know help down to break the AI projects down according to those seven patterns. Something we talk about is the CPMAI methodology that you can find out more about at cognolinica.com slash training. But as you know, with your experience in the Navy, you know, what do you think are some of the unique challenges, perhaps maybe specific to the Navy or maybe within and around that community that you see that AI could solve? So yeah, there are some great ones. Let's start with the mundane and let's talk about inventory management and transparency with respect to the manufacturing process for spare parts. The ocean is a very harsh environment on materiel and it has a very quick effect on reducing the efficacy on reducing the operations of various mechanical parts. So the inventory process of repair and preventive maintenance in the Navy is huge, not to mention the transport and movement of those spare parts from the factories to where they're needed most. The sensors we're embedding now on a lot of our equipment can give us a better readout of the state of the various pieces in a vehicle. So for instance, if you have aircraft with lots of sensors, they can tell you what the status of the turbines are, where we are on the motherboard electronically is far different from the rolling gear needed to move an aircraft into position to launch it, things like that. As the sensors tell us more about the wear and tear on those items, they can also help order more spare parts in an appropriate time so that they arrive when it's time to replace them. So they can have input from the factory. At MarkLogic, we have a use case with AutoLeave where we monitor their manufacturing processes for them, and we are able to tell them the status of auto safety equipment and its availability and its quality. 
Well, if you can transfer that into logistics chains, you can have crew chiefs and quartermasters in the Army, quartermasters in the Navy Supply Corps, able to order spare parts from the factory to arrive at a vessel in an appropriate time for replacement for preventive maintenance as opposed to repair. That's huge. That's a time save. That's a cost save. That is a overall efficiency for the military that then comes back to be used in operational tempo. That's a mundane case that we're pretty close to being able to solve that problem now. Let's go to the aspirational and think about autonomous weaponry for air defense. That's a huge aspiration forward where given the threat of modern weaponry, speed interrupts the OODA loop, the observe, orient, decide, and act loop, so that employing a defensive weapon against an incoming threat requires split-second decision-making. The incoming threat has to be detected. It has to be determined where it's likely to hit. The weaponry and the task force has to be employed effectively because you have a limited number of surface-to-air missiles, you have a limited number of outgoing SeaWiz rounds, and there's just a limit to the ammunition you have to defend the fleet, so you want to employ it appropriately against the threats at speed and at volume. So now what we are looking forward to aspirationally in the future is a time when the air defense commander for a task force can set a button that says, hey, need you to monitor all incoming threats and employ the weaponry from all the ships in the task force appropriately against those incoming threats. So you don't have redundant fires going out and another incoming threat ignored. So the Navy has lots of use cases. The Royal Navy is currently working on AI to assist with counter mine operations and trying to do mine clearing operations. That's a huge thing. You have an environment, you have a variety of different weapons that can be employed against you. And to be able to send an unmanned vessel to go in and clear mines, thus protecting human life, while at the same time operationally giving you an advantage over an opponent who's trying to mine waters and deny you access to sea lanes, that's not a simple thing in an ocean environment so dynamic, weather, biologics, interrupting things, profiles of, and and let's just talk about garbage in the ocean, interfering with your ability to determine what's a mine and what's not. So there are lots of use cases in the Navy, and I love them all. They're great ones to talk about. Yeah, those are really some great use cases that you brought up. Now, at the end of the day, being able to securely share data at mission-critical speeds is one of the most important goals for all military branches. So what are some easy first steps you'd recommend for anyone wanting to get started getting their data into a more manageable state? So the issue for all of us is we currently are expanding exponentially the amount of data and the formats of the data that we are taking in. So the first problem everyone has is getting their data out of silos that's based on format while they continue to collect more and more data. The issue of simply storing it and stuffing it into data lakes, for instance, we have learned that's not going to solve the problem because all you've done is transfer that problem to a new silo. You've reduced your number of silos, but you put it back into just a different one. So the first thing I would say we need to do is find a way to integrate both structured and unstructured data in a manageable form 
into a data hub, as we like to say at MarkLogic, into a data hub where that data is instantly accessible, it's indexed, and all of the metadata is available for those who have to ensure the governance and the curation of the data while also keeping it secure. As you mentioned, we encrypt in both the hub and the network. We think that's a great way of great first step to securing your data. And by the way, the notion of security has to not only include now preventing theft, but we have to ensure the integrity of the data to make sure that an outside actor has no surface area in which they can corrupt the data. So we've also added that requirement in because without it, our AI algorithms are not trusted. They're not, we can't be certain that the algorithm is doing its job if the data can be corrupted or be used. So first, breaking down those silos, being able to assemble your data into an accessible hub, whether it's structured, unstructured, regardless of format. I did a run on imagery file formats to just examine what we've done in the last 10 years with file format extensions for various types of images. Most of us know, you know, JPEG or MOV or all this. Well, it took five pages at nine font to review all the various types of file extension formats for an image. That's how we have grown our imagery libraries and tried to cope with all of the new types of definition, and by definition, I mean high def, all of these various new files. Cameras now work with raw imagery as opposed to just JPEG files. Any amateur photographer will tell you the problem there. So we create over and over again our own problem by our improvements in data collection. What we need to do now to manage that is have systems that aren't limited by a particular type of data format. At MarkLogic, we're a NoSQL database, so we can take in everything structured, unstructured. To us, it's a document. It's available to be indexed, searched immediately. And then the last thing I would say from types of data and security is you have to have confidence that across the stack, wherever you're storing this data, if I deal with it at 2 p.m. on a Friday, that change I make to whatever I did to the data, whether it's I edited a file, a document, or whatever, is immediately transferred across the data hub, the data stack for everyone so that that change has an immediate impact across the stack. Otherwise, a time lag, a time delay in that transaction can cause a problem for the algorithms in a remote location. If it is not immediately available to the entire data hub for all users, it can actually cause a problem and cause mission failure in different ways. So those three things, a hub that can deal with all different types of formats of data without in an agnostic fashion, particularly as we move to the cloud, clouds need to be able to deal with all our different types of formats. The second thing, making sure that security is about integrity as well as prevention of theft, integrity of data to be available for the algorithms. And then the last thing being that acid transaction, that ability to have the stack respond immediately to incoming data or to data changes. Oh, and I do think we need to talk about scale. One of the biggest problems we are facing is as the volume of data grows, 
the acquisition cycle for solutions is actually hindering our ability to handle the scale of data coming in because we're constantly, as with images, we're constantly creating new formats because we're creating new data and more volumes of data. Well, if we don't find a way to deal with that scale and its speed, that's going to hinder us as soon as we try to attach and connect to our algorithms that we want to make those decisions from the OODA loop. Well, great. Well, I think that was (laughs) (laughs) no, no, you did a fabulous job. I mean, honestly, I mean, a lot of our listeners, for some of them, this is sort of an area of application of AI that may be very new to them. And strangely enough, they may be in working in insurance or they may be in Australia in a real estate company. And a lot of these things are still applicable to them. They may still have the exact same problems with with the data lake. They'll have the same, same problems with data and all this, you know, like, Hey, real estate companies, they may have a lot of images too. You know, insurance company, they probably got to absolutely do. Think about Zillow. Uh Think about what Zillow is dealing with in terms of imagery on every day. And as realtors go out and collect photographs of homes, if you open some of these realty websites right now, People aren't buying homes if there's not enough photos for them to examine the house. And they're online doing more and more shopping. So you're right. Every day, there are commercial applications to these AI problems that come from the volume of data that's being applied. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, that... I think and, that, and, and your seven patterns talk about it. I mean, when we talk about hyper-personalization and talk about customer experience, you know, that's a huge thing. Amazon's certainly been working on it for a long time, but more and more that's filtering down into even things like some of the online hobby shops try to monitor your customer experience and apply those to the types of models and paints and paintbrushes you buy. So yeah, I think there's a huge application just into corporations right now. Well, great. And then there's academia, there's scientific research. Materials research in particular, we have lessons learned from decades of material research that is sometimes lost. I compare it to shipbuilding from the age of the Vikings. There were lessons learned about how to build ships from the Vikings that frankly were lost for decades and centuries after the Viking culture sort of uh, was retarded and died out, that we're relearning now about the ingenuity of their material use of wood. Go figure. Well, material scientists today can learn lessons from that era and apply it to their experiments and to their results and not duplicate research if it's available to them to be searched and applied to their own activities now. And that, that's an extreme example. You know, the guys that are dealing with titanium don't necessarily have to go back to look at Vikings and wood, but it's, uh-huh. there's applications for deep learning, for the pattern recognition in material science. In a lot of your seven patterns, that AI can be available in academia, in corporate, customer experience, all sorts of different ways. Okay. Well, I think that's great. I mean, honestly, that's part of the reason why we run these podcasts is to show people and highlight all these particular applications of AI and machine learning, some mundane, some very strategic, some, you know, for small companies, some for very large agencies, and show that there's actually a lot of commonality among all of them. So maybe putting on your crystal ball, looking forward ahead to the future, kind of where do you see all this going? You know, what do you believe the future of AI is in general in its application to governments, corporations, and organizations of all types? Okay, so we're in an age where we're talking about the difference between AI hype and AI reality. And I've recently learned about some of the difficulties those 
in the community in the past predicted about AI and, and what was going to happen. You know, humans were going to be replaced and the three laws were going to, you know, keep us safe as our robots fried up our bacon in the morning. But the fact is humans have these huge aspirations for AI and for everything from robotics and the ability for autonomous vehicles to reduce highway We have huge aspirations for AI with everything from autonomous vehicles and the ability to reduce highway fatalities and injury up through air travel and the ability for aircraft safety to improve with respect to the movements of humans and mobility. I think that's the first place that most of us see, you know, we all want to be in the minority report car that hovers through Washington, D.C. and safely arrives at any destination. When we talk about deep learning and pattern recognition, you know, we saw the development of games and we've seen how everything from IBM Watson and playing chess, the narrow focus of AI currently that is successful, we're looking to expand upon that to where we can rely and trust AI algorithms to accomplish things in ways that humans currently would not recognize. Now, when we talk about AlphaGo, there's an AI algorithm that learned to play Go in a way that humans had not seen moves and did not recognize. Let's expand that into agriculture or emergency response. Imagine AI algorithms able to help direct resources into a disaster area like the Bahamas so that things arrive and there's no clogging at the ports so that the most needed supplies arrive first. These are aspirational, but we can't accomplish them, I think, in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, that great. Makes sense, right? It was a long way. I went <laughs> off on a tangent. It's always hard to predict the future, but you know what? Your predictions, other predictions, it, you can't say who's going to be right until we get there. So I, I think it's really very insightful. So we, we really appreciate you provided a lot of great insight to our listeners here. And for those that are looking to dive deeper, we encourage you to go to AIToday.live to subscribe to the newsletter where we post these sorts of more in-depth, we have additional in-depth questions where we will talk to our interviewers and sort of dive a little bit deeper because you know folks like Brigham have a lot to offer here and share with the community. So I encourage you to go there and check that out. So Brigham, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We really appreciate your participation. My pleasure and always fun to think about these things in the future. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us today. And listeners, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter, and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. 
Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.